what do Kansas City's Harold Luno, the Austrian School of Economics, and Bitcoin have in common? No, it's not a dad joke. It's a Kansas City story on the Reformed Financial Advisor podcast. My name is Andy Flattery. I'm a certified financial planner. You can learn more about my firm and get on my email list at reformedfinancialadvisor.com. Let's get into it. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. I released the very first episode of this podcast a year ago. The very first episode featured uh, a man in Kansas City history named William Volker. I told his story, and Volker has been in the news recently. We're talking this morning on Up to Date about the life and times of William Volker, whose name is about to come down from the Kansas City Boulevard system to instead honor Martin Luther King Jr. That was the change the Parks Board voted on last week. As you can imagine, I wasn't a fan of that decision, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about a man named Harold Luno, who last summer I had a chance to interview his granddaughter, uh, a lady named Mary Cranston, who was the granddaughter of Luno and the great niece of Volker himself. He was the epitome of servant leadership. He did some really amazing and innovative things with his company along those lines, too. You know, he, he essentially involved all of his employees in ownership of the company way before anyone else thought of that. So this is part two of that story about Harold Luno, the nephew of William Volker. Luno was the protege of his uncle. He ran William Volker and Company. He later ran the Volker Fund, which championed many prominent Austrian economists when nobody else would, whose ideas are still very much alive today because of, believe it or not, Bitcoin. Here's the story. Wonder Bread, the bread that's doubly fresh, fresh when you buy it and fresh when you eat it, presents Bachelor's Children. Mr. Hal W. Luno. The politician, coldly practical as he is, selfishly recognizes first things first. No group ever starts out deliberately to jip the public in the handling of finances. That always comes later. That was Harold Luno himself on local Kansas City radio in the 1930s. Thanks to some amazing audio that the Mar Sound Archives out of UMKC unearthed for me. Who was Luno? My grandfather was extremely complicated and broad-minded human being. He was a concert-level pianist. He, he loved uh, the outdoors and fishing. He would go fishing every year took us all along. That's one of the things he did with us. He was in college. He studied agriculture. I mean, God knows why he was raised on the South side of Chicago, you know, mm-hmm. but he, he always had a lifelong interest in that and horticulture. In addition, Luna was very much involved in local Kansas city politics. He was battling the political machine 
of the Pendergast who had used the Volcker money to their advantage. We, we covered that in episode one of this podcast. Here is Michael McVicker, a scholar who has studied Volcker and Luno, and he appeared recently on the KCUR Up to Date podcast. So the the, the Pendergasts, um, uh, both of the brothers, ended up butting heads with um, with Volcker, and eventually Lunau sort of spearheaded a number of Republican political campaigns to undermine. City employees in times past have been badly enmeshed in the gears of a political machine. That isn't unusual. There never has been a political machine that didn't use city employees as the backbone of their organization. We've had plenty of that demonstrated right here in Kansas City. But that doesn't say it was in the public interest or that even the employees wanted it that way. You will never eliminate machines until you remove city employees as the fodder with which these machines are fed. Luno was also a talented businessman in his own right. As Volcker got older, he would take over leadership of William Volcker and company and help expand their enterprises, and he led the William Volcker Fund. Uncle Will was, of course, a second father to my grandfather, and mm-hmm. obviously even more important probably in his life development than his own father. And uh, Uncle Will died about a month before I was born in 1947. And uh, my grandfather had taken over the company many years before that, but he was also mm-hmm. the lead uh, trustee of the foundation. So he, at the point of Uncle Will's death, kind of controlled everything that Uncle Will had built. Volker dies in 1947. He gives, at the time of his death, uh, at least $15 million uh, goes into what is already a sizable but secret fund that's associated with the, the Volker Fund. And just, just to give a, a sort of sense of that, that's almost $180 million in today's dollars, okay? Wow. It's a huge amount of money. And what Lunau begins to do is he stops giving or, or slowly unwinds the fund's charitable giving in Kansas City, um, which where Volker had supported the, the university and the hospital um, hmm. and anti-big government spending during the New Deal. So Lunau starts funding uh, a number of mostly econo- economists, not, not exclusively, but mostly economists who are critics of government spending, and especially Keynesian economics, the idea that you can spend your way out of a depression or the idea you can spend your way out of a, an economic downturn. Bachelor's Children, radio's most beloved cereal, is brought to you by the bakers of Wonder Bread and Hostess Cakes and is dedicated to the grocers of America. So now we get to the controversial aspect of Harold Luno's life, because later in Volker's life, and then especially after his uncle died, Luno would shift the focus of the William Volker Fund away from contributing to not only Kansas City, but directly sponsoring individuals, individual scholars. So... Let's define our terms here. What exactly is the Austrian school? According to Wikipedia, quote, the Austrian school is a heterodox school of economic thought that is based on methodological individualism, the concept that social phenomena result exclusively from the motivations and actions of individuals 
end quote. The, the Austrian school is most notably thought of as the school of Karl Menger, also F.A. Hayek, who the Volcker Fund would sponsor. Hayek won a, a Nobel Prize in 1974. And then Ludwig von Mises, and then, of course, Rothbard, both of which were scholars that the Volcker Fund would sponsor. And so the Austrian school is heterodox in that it is a distinct school of thought from the more mainstream schools, such as the Chicago School, which is associated with Milton Friedman, and the Keynesians. So, of course, John Maynard Keynes. How did Lou now get away with shifting this focus of the funds so dramatically? He, he funds these two controversial Austrian-born economists. Did anybody object to what he was doing? <laughs> well, it, it, the, the short answer is when Volcker died, Lunau took control of both the William Volcker and Company, the, the home furnishings company, and he took control of the charitable fund. So this was more or less legitimate. There may have been people associated with the board who didn't like what he was doing, but most of the people who were associated with the company liked this new direction, this intellectual direction that he was taking it in. Many folks in Kansas City did not. So who were these controversial economists? Largely Jews fleeing Europe, men like Hayek and Mises during the 30s and 40s. Their ideas of free market economics were extremely unpopular at that time. This is like the antithesis of the big government that was championed by Hoover and then, of course, FDR and then even Truman. Truman, who was a friend of, of Tom Pendergast. So... Mises was hated in Austria for being a Jew. I mean, he was kind of a pariah in the U.S. for having ideas that were unpopular with, with basically everyone at that time. The, the example I like to think of is the great Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises and how he fled Europe right in front of the Nazis. And he arrived in America with almost no money. And he had to restart his life with none of his savings. And he was a great great professor and academic in Europe and it was treated very poorly in America and it was sort of given a very lowly post as a professor of economics and that was a great tragedy he, he wasn't able to take all of his savings when he escaped of course it was great that he survived and we all benefited from that that was Vijay Boyapati the question is why was Mises controversial on a really basic level, it could just be because he's vaguely associated with the right wing, although he's basically hated by the establishment on both the right and the left because, you know, sound money is a detriment to governments growing larger and building their empire. Here is Tom Woods on this point. As Ludwig von Mises said, this is something that belongs in bills of rights to protect people namely a sound money that can't be manipulated by government because then it just becomes the lifeblood of the empire. It allows the government to behave in ways it couldn't if it were more restrained because the money couldn't be multiplied indefinitely. So if, if the way history is going to remember William Volcker and Harold Luno is that Volcker was kind of this saintly figure and Luno was a terrible guy, I'm definitely pushing back against that narrative, but I'm not a historian. I, I know that history is really complicated and really messy and, and, and people are complex and really interesting. 
you know, even the history of the Pendergast machine is complicated, and a lot of people think well of him. I think of my Irish Catholic ancestors. You know, if we would have been living in Kansas City a hundred years ago, who knows? Maybe we would have been supporting the Pendergast machine. Or maybe not. Maybe we would have been on the, the Joe Shannon side and, and been a part of the, the Rabbits, which was the, the kind of other Irish Catholic opponent to Pendergast. So, so it's really complicated because it's not crazy to think that Luno would have become cynical over the years at seeing his uncle's wealth be used by the Pendergast machine for their own power and for their own financial gain. It's totally understandable why he'd want to move away from that sort of system to just sponsoring individuals directly. And if you know anything about Kansas City history, I mean, and even Kansas City politics today, there's still a long history of these kind of boondoggle financial projects. Pendergast actually had like the original New Deal. He called it the 10-year plan. A lot of people refer to it as the 10-year scam. One of the things that he did was he paved Brush Creek right right in the middle of the city. So we've, we've got a concrete creek. And he used, of course, Pendergast concrete um, to do it. So we still see these sort of projects pop up from time to time in Kansas City politics, even today. What a switch from the early vision of what William Volcker had to what Harold Lunau wanted it to become later, long after William Volcker passed away. I mean, it's, it's quite a trajectory here. You know, by the time my grandfather had some kind of neurological illness, I'm not sure it was ever really diagnosed, but starting in the kind of mid-60s, a little earlier than that, um, I think he started to lose a stitch. He he physically got very kind of immobile, and uh, and by the by the seventies, uh, early seventies, he really was not all there. So mm-hmm. I think my mother's view is that there were some people involved. I, I, I can't even remember their names, so I can't give you the chapter mm-hmm. and verse. But we're interested in um, uh, securing positions on the Hoover Institution board and kind of persuaded my grandfather to go that way. I'm not, he was very fond of Stanford because his daughters had gone there, but I'm not sure that was really his idea. Mm -hmm. And I think by the time it was finally wound up, my grandfather was probably, you know, a little far gone. I think it's one of the issues with, you know, private foundations and stuff. Uncle Will was sharp to the end, you know, and, but my grandfather was not. And I, Oftentimes, it's hard uh, when there's kind of one person with total control to know when it's time to uh, pass the baton. Lunau was, by all accounts, a a committed Christian, but he also believed in some form of Christian science and the power to channel spirits. This gets very murky. Um, And the idea was that he believed he had been possessed by some kind of power that he could use to crush international communism. And I know that might sound a little bit ludicrous, but that that is what he said uh, during this meeting. And after that, the fund really blew up. A lot of staffers thought that Lunau had lost his mind. A lot of them thought he'd gone senile. And there you have it. It is in this glorious fashion that the Volcker Fund would blow up in the 1960s, uh, folded entirely, I believe, in the 1970s. And there, there were still actually several million dollars remaining of Volcker money 
that were distributed finally to the, the Hoover Institution at Stanford University and a couple of remaining Kansas City charities. but that every woman in this country is not only anxious to know the mistakes she's been making in the past about the food she serves her family, but to correct them and serve the right foods. So what is the legacy of Harold Luno? Well, you've heard the critics, but I think it's worth pointing out that part of Luno's legacy is the fact that he played a role in preserving the Austrian school of economics. When I think of academics like Mises and Hayek and Rothbard, the Volcker money helps support these individuals when nobody else would. And if you take a look at what's going on here in 2021, the Austrian School of Economics is very much alive, thanks in part to the Volcker Fund and actually a little technology called Bitcoin. Let's narrow and hone in on how the Austrian economics applies to Bitcoin. I think it's interesting as a footnote that based upon what I read about uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who was, of course, the the ghost-like originator of Bitcoin, he had some familiarity with Mises and some familiarity with Austrian economics. Well, this is in a narrow fashion, and this is ironic. If If you study the mainstream, then mainstream economics tells you that money has got to be managed by the government via a central bank. They've suddenly decided that money has got to be dominated by a government institution. And this is never questioned by the mainstream. They just begin from the point that money is outside the market. It it has to be managed by government. About this is an unexamined assumption. And of course, what's distinguished Ludwig von Mises especially is that in 1913, he wrote a book called The Theory of Money and Credit, and in which he basically understood that, that the origins of money precedes government. When Mises arrived in the United States, the situation was very dire for him. He, he was in a, a situation where although he was famous in his homeland, nobody would hire him here in the USA. And the Volcker Fund got him an unpaid teaching arrangement at New York University. So he taught for New York University unpaid. And then the Volcker Fund, along with a few other foundations, paid him a very humble wage. He made $200 every two weeks or about $5,000 a year. And so in, in today's dollars, he made roughly, call it $45,000 in New York City by living in a rent-controlled apartment, which, by the way, was the same thing that Murray Rothbard did too. So, So none of these men lived high on the hog, but they did live thanks to the contributions of the Volcker Fund. So over the the decades, the Austrian School of Economics has been left for dead a number of times. But it's back. It's it's back again with now a much younger generation that's interested in Bitcoin. These are young economists that are reading Mises. These are people like St- Stefan Levera, who is, I think, younger than even I am. Mises' theory of money and credit, and he's talking about how there's this convergence towards the single most easily resold and readily accepted commodity, right? Because he's saying one by one, less saleable 
commodities get knocked out until finally you're left with the most saleable one. They're also reading Murray Rothbard, another Volcker beneficiary. Murray Rothbard obviously has many, many contributions. Probably one of the best from a Bitcoin point of view is this booklet called What Has Government Done to Our Money? So in this book, Murray Rothbard talks about monetary history and how banking got corrupted and centralized. Right, so you can understand a little bit further around how it were, how it came to be, how we ended up in this scenario that actually this, the world that you know the money that we're using now is more like an aberration, right? So for thousands of years, people used gold as money. What, how was it that we got onto this system of using paper money that's actually not backed by anything, right? So when people talk about this idea of all oh, intrinsic value, really we should understand from an Austrian point of view is value is in the eyes of the beholder, right? It's subjective value. If you're new to these kind of ideas, you'll notice that he's not talking about uh, the cool tech or even cryptography or the fact that the number keeps going up. They're referencing some very longstanding ideas about money, Uh, in effect, saying the same things about Bitcoin that the Austrians were saying about, say, gold 100 years ago. Another, I think, insight that should be considered is Murray Rothbard's insight and I think other Austrians have also made this point as well, but essentially Rothbard made this point that the defining and ultimate use of money is its function as medium of exchange. All other functions are subordinate to this. So some people confuse it a little and they try to disaggregate the functions of money. So talking about, oh, you know, this is the function as store of value and this is the function as of unit of account, when really it's all subordinate to medium of exchange, coming back to which one is the most saleable, which one is the actual one that matters the most. If you go to the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute website, Satoshi Nakamoto, by the way, the kind of ghost founder of Bitcoin, the website lists a number of pivotal works that are worth reading if you want to educate yourself in Bitcoin. Some of the authors are, of course, cryptographers like Hal Finney and Ralph Merkel, But many are Austrian economists, like Karl Menger, the founder of the Austrian school, Mises, Hayek, and Rothbard, who, again, were supported by Harold Luno and the Volcker Fund. And now, younger Austrian academics like Guido Holzmann and Jesus Huerta de Soto have works listed. So the tradition lives on. So that's my thesis. William Volcker and his nephew, Harold Luno, played a role in this story. Uh, Did they save Austrian economics? I I don't know. Would Bitcoin have happened without Luno and Volcker? Perhaps, perhaps not. We've all seen the time travel movies that have, you know, they've pounded into our heads how fickle history can be. But good ideas have a way of surviving one way or the other. In any case, ideas come from people, and Luno deserves credit as an intriguing figure in Kansas City history and the Austrian School of Economics. And I'm remembering him and paying homage to him today with this podcast. Folks, so that's my episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please subscribe. You can also get my monthly newsletter at reformedfinancialadvisor.com. I used quite a bit of source material for this mini documentary, so I'll leave all the links in the show notes for those sources. Those are the the Mars Sound archives at UMKC, which, by the way, 
was the university that William Volker was the benefactor of. The KCUR Up-to-Date podcast, the Tom Woods Show, and the Stefan Rivera Show. And we'll see you next time. By transcription, it's time now for your evening siesta. Thank you.